Thanks for joining us at Faith. We hope the message you're about to hear encourages your day and draws you closer to Jesus. If you'd like to join us for service or find out more about the church, visit faith.church. That's faith.church. I want you to know something today. God wants to speak to you. God wants to heal you. God wants to strengthen you. God wants for you to see him in a way that you never have seen him before. And I want you to understand today that the word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword. And it can heal us and cut us and and mature us all at the same time. And so we're going to receive from his word today. Are you with me? Okay, two of you are really happy to hear the word of God today. How many are ready to receive from God's word today? Come on. It's good. Listen, we are continuing with a series from the book of Revelation, and we, we have been looking at the seven churches, or the letter to seven churches, in the beginning of the book of Revelation. And we, we, a couple weeks ago, we talked through what Revelation was. We also talked through about the churches. We talked to, through the author of the book of Revelation. And also, we understood that the book of Revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's the revelation of Jesus. Just a little side note, it's not the revelation of the Antichrist. It's the revelation of Jesus. It's not the revelation of the seventh horn on the dragon. It's the revelation of our Lord and our Savior and our coming King, Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. All right. You guys with me today? Come on. It's it's second service. I I need a little energy help. All right? Here we go. So, we're going to lean in to this passage today out of Revelation chapter 2. And as we lean into it, I want you to remember last week we looked at the church in Ephesus and they were doing amazing things. And they were, they were busy, they were active, they had programs. And Jesus said, that's great. I'm so glad you're doing that. But I hold something against you. You have forsaken your first love. In other words, they got so caught up into what they were doing, what they were doing became their identity instead of who they were doing it for. And that was their king and their Lord and their Savior, Jesus Christ. And he he encouraged them to return to their first love, return to how they interacted with him in the beginning, return to the place where where they couldn't wait to be with him when their eyes popped open, that they couldn't wait to, to share his message to the lost and to a broken world. They couldn't wait because everything they did flowed out of this relationship, but what happened is what they did replaced that relationship. And their identity became of the success of their past or how many people knew of them And it had drifted from them knowing Jesus. So we were challenged and we received a challenge personally. We received a challenge as a church. Guys, today this message, we're talking about the church in Smyrna. Now this is a church that, to be honest with you, this is the difficult message. I want to shift some gears from last week to this week and lean into this truth because this is a message about suffering. You don't hear many messages about suffering. You know why? Because they're not fun to preach. But they're in the Bible. And this church in Smyrna was a church suffering because they had chosen to reject the current culture of the time. They were still loving, still serving, but they were under much persecution. So whether you are suffering from persecution or suffering in life alone, it's important for us to understand that God wants to meet us in our suffering. And as Christians or American Christians, it's hard for us to wrap our heads around suffering, isn't it? 
Even when we think about suffering, we're like, I don't have cell service. I, like, help me. My internet's down. Lord. And so as Americans, it's tough for us to understand suffering for our faith. And it's also hard for us to reconcile suffering even in our own bodies, in our, in our own lives when we go through difficult times. We know this. We know that we are on a journey through this world, that this world is actually not our home, thank God. But it's, we, get, we can be very discouraged if we think, if we think that eternity and the benefits of full eternity we're going to experience here on this earth. Yes, there are some things we have on this earth. Yes, we have the kingdom come. Yes, but there is still a kingdom that is yet to come. And we won't experience the full blessing of the, of the work of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus until he returns or we then die and we're able to be in, in, in his presence. So it's important for us to understand, though, that there is this element of suffering. Listen, I know that sometimes you can feel as though God isn't with you. You can feel as though in your suffering and your pain that God isn't with you. Or maybe, maybe you're here today and you're living what you know to be right and biblical, but you just can't see the blessing of God where you are right now. Or maybe because you, maybe you've, you're suffering because you've been slandered because of your stand for righteousness and your stand for the truth of God's word. Or maybe you've been canceled by friends or family or even believers in the church because you didn't align with a certain belief, you didn't align with a certain group in, this, in the recent days and, and time with all the division, you didn't, and so there, you've been canceled because you were truly doing your best to follow the word of God and the spirit in which Christ is placed in you. Listen, life is full of pressure, it's full of pain. There's full of disappointment. All of us are going to suffer, but this is what I want you to hear today. Jesus is waiting for you today. Wherever you are, whether if you are suffering, he's going to speak to you and give you an eternal perspective in your suffering. If you're not suffering, just get ready, take notes, because you will. Jesus wants you to know that he sees you and he's with you. This church in Smyrna was in a difficult place. They were in a painful place. In this town, it's, it's in modern-day Turkey, in this city, they were being persecuted by the Jews. One of the reasons they were being persecuted by the Jews is because many Jews were coming to know Jesus and coming to Christ. And so what happened as they would, as Jews would put their faith in Christ, they were cut off immediately from their family. They had lost, within one decision to be a follower of Jesus, they lost everything. They lost their family, lost their community. And so these people were being persecuted. They lost their income. They lost their inheritances, just like that. Another reason they were being persecuted is they lived among devout pagan worshipers. I mean, they were sold out evangelists for this pagan religion. They were worshiping the god or the goddess of Sibylle. Now, let me just explain the cultural environment. It's fascinating. So in their culture environment in, in Smyrna, the, the pagans worshipped the goddess of Sibylle, who was an offspring of Zeus, in, according to their mythology. But Sibylle was created and born actually with two different aspects of her life. She, was, she had both male and female parts. Zeus wanted her to be female, and so he mutilated half of her body, creating her 
to be female. And so here you have them worshiping the goddess of Sibylle. Now, as they were worshiping, it was fueled by sexual perversion and violence. So the priest in the temple of Sibylle, the priest who would carry out the worship, as men, they would mutilate their bodies as well. They also would dress like women and act like women. This was the cultural norm. And the whole city was just all about Sibylle, sexual perversion and violence. Sexual perversion and violence. That's what they were known for. Sexual perversion on the streets, in the stadiums, in the temple, violence in the stadiums, in the streets. This is where the church was. And they began to receive persecution because they rejected the idea that sexual perversion was okay. They rejected the idea that violence was what God, they rejected that. And because of their rejection and their stand for righteousness, they were persecuted as the church. Very fascinating. And what we see is that where God is absent from a culture, what do you see arise and increase? Sexual perversion and violence. What are we seeing as a rise in our culture as God can, as, as we are not placing him as a, as a full culture, we're seeing the rise of sexual perversion and violence. If we were just to stop and think for a second about our own culture, about we're raising our families and we're leading our children and they're getting messages from all over the place, we're seeing sexual perversion and violence continue to arise. We see men acting like women, women acting like men, violence on the streets. The demonic realm, here's what's interesting, really hasn't changed much over the years. It's kind of the same thing. And when you think of, for them in Smyrna, they propagated sexual perversion and violence by their entertainment, through the stadiums, through what, as you walk down the streets, there was huge statues that were perverted sta sexual statues. They worshiped, I mean, it was, it was permeating every aspect of who they were. And their, their entertainment was pushing the same propaganda. The same way for us, our entertainment, the news, Hollywood, Netflix, Music propagates these same things today, not only to us, but to our own children. So here we are, the church today, living in a culture that opposes us standing for truth. What are we going to do? How is this suffering message going to relate to us? These Christians stood up against the goddess of Sibylle, and because of that, they endured physical, economic, social, relational persecution. Not only that, they were then drugged into the stadiums to be a part of their horrific celebration of the goddess of Sibylle. The people of God were raped and they were killed. And they were torn apart by lions and wild animals and as the citizens of that culture cheered on and praised the goddess of Sibylle. To be honest, as I said earlier, we don't know what to do with suffering. When we come across scriptures in the Bible, we don't know what to do with the suffering because for us, we haven't had to live it out as, as Christians. And so the reality is as well, because suffering is foreign to us, we have shaped the scripture to fit our narrative as a culture, as American Christians. But the reality is suffering 
is a normal part of a Christian life. You're like, great, thanks, Jason. I could have skipped out on this one today. Thank you, appreciate it. Suffering is a normal part. And for me to preach that it isn't would be heresy, really. All throughout Scripture, there are promises of trouble, suffering, but also all throughout Scripture is the promise of the God who sustains us, either, either delivers us from it or sustains us through it. That's the God we serve. We begin to hear the heart of Jesus for this church in and, and Smyrna, and we begin to hear it and, and apply that to our own lives. But if we don't speak about suffering in the Christian faith, we create an image of God that isn't biblical. If we don't speak about suffering, if we don't prepare ourselves for suffering, we create a God that all of a sudden when we're suffering, we begin to doubt. We begin to doubt, oh God, why am I suffering? Is it because of sin? Is it because of, why, what's going on? Is it because you're not good? Is it be, and then people, I have seen it with my own eyes and heard it with my own two ears. People that are going through suffering, that prayed that God would deliver them or heal them, have walked away from their faith in Jesus Christ. Why? I'll tell you why. Because from the pulpits of America, they haven't been prepared theologically to deal with the reality of what is spoken in the Bible. And so we want to be prepared. We want to learn from this church the days ahead. I don't know what, what lays, lies ahead for us, but what I do know is the Bible clarifies how we can navigate all situations. And if that is what God would have for us as a church or the church, then he will sustain us and walk us through it. Because he's a faithful God. And because he did it for this church, he will do it for us. This is a difficult but necessary message. And I want to share it with you today. And I want to believe that the Lord can meet you where you are. Whether you're in natural sufferings of life or you're suffering because you stood for Jesus Christ. He wants to meet you and speak to you today. So let's look at Revelation chapter 2, the letter written to the church in Smyrna. These are the words of him who is the first and the last. What I love about this is Jesus comes out of the gate. These are hurting, precious people, giving them some confidence in who he is. He says, I'm the first and the last who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison and test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful, even to the point of death. And I will give you life as your victor's crown. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. When I read about this church, when I read about what they've gone through, when I look into church history and historical writings about them, I am so proud of them. I'm proud of what they endured. But I think if we were all honest and we, and we just took note, this is not the only church that suffered over the years. Persecution has been a real part of the Christian journey from over 2,000 years ago. 
If you think, no, Jason, that's not what God, as you come to Christ, everything is good. It's, it's running through the fields of, of sunflowers and, and blue jays and all like it's, oh, Jason, I don't know what you're talking about. I, I understand that. That sounds great. But if you were to ask the disciples, they would disagree. All of them were persecuted for their faith. I believe we owe an incredible debt for those who went before us who chose to hold the line who chose to be men and women of righteousness. I believe their blood and the sacrifice that they made to stand for Jesus and shed their blood in the most horrific of ways was seed that was sown on the earth and the church has grown from that seed, from the blood of the martyrs. We are here today, I believe that. And we wanna honor that. When you, when you look over church history, you're gonna, you're gonna see persecution, and martyrdom. You can read it in Fox's Book of Martyrs. You can read it with Open Door Ministries. You can read it with the Voice of the Martyrs, which are all current things that are going on. Time Magazine, though, reported the number of Christians martyred doubled between 2012 and 2013. And that was in the Middle East, as you remember. It's very interesting, estimate of, of 100 to 150 million Christians have been martyred every year in the recent decades. Some estimate that 65% of all those martyred took place since the beginning of the 20th century. That statistic of the 100, 150 million does not take into account those who were thrown in jail, property taken from them, and beaten or persecuted. That's just those who died. I believe that we need some good theology to be able to walk the days ahead. I believe that God wants to anchor us in his word and his truth to strengthen us where we are today. And we want to walk this out. We want to be able to go to places maybe we haven't, but we want to be able to honor the one who laid his life down for us. And yes, we, we, no matter what happens, we will suffer persecution. We will suffer pressure but I want you to know this, if that's where you are today, Jesus wants to meet you. If you're under pressure today, may you receive comfort from Jesus. So I want to just look at some of the truths of God's word, from God's word, and understand God in the midst of suffering from this letter to the church in Smyrna. The first truth about God in the midst of suffering is, number one, he can be trusted with your today and your tomorrow. The beginning of this letter begins Jesus talking about himself, stating a fact about who he is, who, who he is, Jesus is, the first and the last. Why would he tell them that? These are people who were struggling. He wanted them to know the substance of the one that they walk with or the one that they serve. This church was suffering. And he wanted them to know who he is. It can be easy to be anxious and to worry. All of us can do it. What tomorrow may hold, because we think that, God, what, what is tomorrow going to hold? Especially in pressure. But we need to know that we serve a God who is eternal. We serve a God that is not limited to what we see. We see a God who holds time in his hand. We see a God who not only is time, but created time. He is the God that sees all things, and he sees you in the midst of your suffering and your pain today. You are not alone. He sees you. God has a future plan in sight for you. Time is in his hands. 
And you can trust him with your today and you can trust him with your tomorrow. He wanted them and you to know this today. I am the alpha and the omega. I'm the first and the last and I'm everything in between. And since I am with you, I have got you and I'm going to get you through this. That's what he wanted them to know. If you're walking through suffering today, you need to know that God's with you and that he can be trusted. You can find comfort in these words. Jesus, why would Jesus open with this line? Because he's, he's bringing comfort to people who need it. The second truth about God in the midst of suffering is this. He can be trusted with your here and into eternity. He can be trusted now, but also not just on this earth, eternity. He reminds them about who he is. He reminds them about the work that he's done. And he says this, I, Jesus, I died and I came to life again. Listen, you can follow a guy who died, came to life again, and will live forevermore. I will follow that guy. And that's Jesus. Nobody else has done that. Nobody else has died, came back to life, and is going to live forever. Only one man, and that was Jesus, who was fully God and fully man. You can put your trust in that. He's reminding them. That I'm the one that has, I have power over death. I'm the one who died and came back to life again. I'm the one who conquered death, hell, and the grave. And if you are in me, you can trust me. I will get you to the other side. That's what he's telling them. And we know this, that Jesus died and he came back to life. He was resurrected and he's living forever. We also know, how can I be sure that my life is secure? Because the punishment that you and I deserve, he took upon himself. Every curse, every curse. Everybody say every curse. Every curse. Every sin, every mistake, every wrongdoing from you, your generations, anything you did or ever will do, he took upon himself and he nailed it to the cross and he died with it embodied in him and on him. And he died with all of our sins and all of our mistakes on him. He died. And with him they did as well. Then he was placed in the tomb, and then three days later, he rose from the dead. And by rising from the dead, he won victory over the grip of sin in our lives. And those who have placed their trust in him are free from the death of sin. You're free from the grip and the chains of sin that will take you to hell. When he died, he broke that curse, but then he rose from the dead, and he, just as he ro rose from the dead, we will also rise from the dead. He broke the curse of death off of our lives. So when we die, regardless of how we die, when we cross from this life and to the next, because we are in Christ Jesus, just as he rose from the dead, we will also rise from the dead, receive new bodies, and rule and reign with him in heaven. He wanted them to know this. He wanted them to have an eternal understanding. He conquered death. And he is giving us comfort. Regardless of the road we walk, whether it's just or unjust, in our days of pressure, he's saying, do not lose heart. Do not give up. Do not throw in the towel. As a believer, you are in a win-win situation. To live is to Christ. To die is gain. Therefore, we will have no fear in death. He's, he's, he is encouraging this precious group of people. You don't have to fear death. You don't have to fear death because I've already been there 
and I've already won it for you, and you will not taste death. You will taste it in the flesh, but absent of the body will be present with me. You don't have to fear. I've got you. You are secure. He's making sure that they are comforted by his words. Because of the victory of Jesus Christ, this is the day I look forward to. Listen, we all are walking through. We're suffering in our own bodies. Listen, we are all, all of our, all of our bodies are winding down. All of us have an expiration date, just so you're aware. But there will be a day when we, that as this body winds down, we're going to be able to stand on the other side of the grave and we're going to thumb our nose at, at Satan and the power of sin and death. And we're going to be able to say what Paul said, hey, 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 death, hey, death, where is your victory? Where is your sting? I'm alive and well, so fooey on you. That's what we get to do. But he wants them to know that. So he's, he's putting these anchor points in their life as they're walking through suffering. In the midst of suffering, number three, a truth about God in the midst of suffering is this. He can be trusted because he has already been where you and I are going. He's already been there. Verse 9, he says this, and he's talking again to this precious group of people, these church believers. I know your afflictions. I know your poverty. And they're probably feeling, man, God, where are you? We're being afflicted. We're being pressured. We've lost our jobs. We, I, God, what? He says this, you might feel poor, but I see you as rich. I see you as rich. I'm proud of you. You, through your faithfulness, you are storing up treasures in heaven that I, I'm, I'm looking at it right now in heaven. Yeah, just wait till you see it. You are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are in the synagogue of Satan. This was just this describing these Jews were really after those Jews who had converted. He's saying, I think you're rich. I know you. I see you. And here's the one thing about suffering is when you're suffering, you feel like really nobody knows. And to be, to be honest, unless someone has walked the road that you've walked, they don't know. Have you ever shared with someone some pain and they're like, yes, no, I get it, I understand. You're like, no, you don't. You can see on their face, they don't get it. And so many times when we walk through suffering, it feels as though we're all alone. It feels as though no one understands. And the truth is our sufferings are unique. Your sufferings are unique. The baggage and the suffering from your childhood is unique to others. Sufferings of relationships are unique to others. Sufferings of health that you have to walk through are unique to others. Because they're unique, because no one has the exact situation, the exact pain, the exact betrayal, the, whatever that is, no one has that. But this is what you need to know. Jesus has walked the full road of suffering. He's walked before you. He has endured it. There is no suffering known to man that Jesus did not embrace and walk through for you. He was rejected. He was betrayed by friends, by his countrymen, by his family. He was mocked. He was slandered. He was beaten. He was publicly humiliated. He was treated unfairly. He was unfairly tried by the court system. He was afflicted in his physical body. His body was mutilated beyond recognition. In his most needed time, his friends left him. And then he was hung on the cross and he was given the sins of the world. And the weight of that was so much. Even in the moment on the cross, 
He cried out and felt like he was alone. My God, why have you forsaken me? Our Savior, he was reminding these people who were walking through horrific pain. I've been there. I'm with you. I understand. And then he walked that suffering all the way to the grave and he conquered death, hell, and the grave. Why did he do that? He did it to go before you. He did it to go to the place that all of us may walk. He did it to guide you because he can guide you because he's been there. He can can help you make your way through suffering because he's been there. He can be with you. He can pray for you. He can sustain you through your darkest moment. And so that you will know that you're not alone. There's this... There was a saying a long time ago. It says, listen, God came to earth so that he would know what it was like to be man. That doesn't make sense to me. God who knows all things, he already knows. So why did he come? He came to earth so that you would know that he knows what it feels like to be man. He understands your suffering. You are not alone. You are not walking this alone. He understands. He is our guide through suffering because he's already been there. I grew up in a small town, very southern tip of Illinois. I lived in Pope County. We have 5,000 people in my whole county. And the nearest town was Galconda. We had a whopping 500 people in that one. And if someone was to visit my hometown, I could say, hey, you should go there. And they could show up and they'd have to figure some things out. But the truth is, what would make their experience better? What would make it better if I was there with them? I grew up there. I made, you know, 18 years of my life was right there. I know every back road. I know every crazy corner. I know every hidden pond. That's what I would do. And I'd say, hey, listen, let's go get some food. We'd go to the dairy bar because most people would drive by it because it looks like you don't want to eat there. But you do because it, it's really good. And we'd get some food. We'd drive up on the, on the levee and we'd look at Kentucky across the Ohio River. I'd take them down to show them where the old dam used to go across Ohio River. Then we'd leave there. We're going to go fishing. Listen, we'll go over to Quail Hollow and we'll go back to the spillway that nobody knows about. And we're going to pull out some significant fish. And you're going to feel like you're, you've died and gone to fish heaven. And then we'll go over to, to Millstone Lake. And then once we'll go on this long back road, and, and if you would like four-wheeling, we're going to get way back there. You're going to pop up over a hill. Then you're going to see this beautiful lake. And come on, let's follow me, follow me. And I'll take them. We'll pop up over the hill, and there's this lake that seems like it just showed up in the middle of the, the Shawnee National Forest. And you're going to take in all the sights. Why? Because you're with me. I've been there. I, I've been there. I know, I know it. I'm your guide. And then I'll take you over to the Millstone Bluff and show you some, some American Indian drawings and pictures that have remained there for all these years. And then probably because we're hungry, we'll run by my parents' house, we'll sit on the back porch and we'll overlook the rolling green hills and listen to the, to the, to the crickets and watch the fireflies and we'll drink a cup of coffee in the peaceful of the Pope County fields. And then if we're real lucky, we'll get some of mom's fried chicken and then you'll say hallelujah. Okay, amen. <laughs> but why? But what? They could go and try to figure that, all that out themselves but what would make it better is if I was their guide. So why, why did Jesus suffer? Why did he walk through all of that? Because he has, he has already been, he's already familiar with what you're going through right now. And he's there. And he will make sure he guides you through the right pathway to the right place. 
He'll make sure you stop and rest here because he knows the next road's going to be really tough and you need to rest. He's going to make sure he brings alongside you people in the church that can comfort you and be with you. And then you'll walk through to another level. But he's always going to be with you. He's able to guide you because he's a good God. He wanted them to know, I see you. I've already been there and I'm with you and you will get through this because I'm with you. That's what he was saying. Wherever you are going, whatever you're going through, wherever you will ever go, Jesus has already been there. He's not, now listen to me, he is not sending you to a place he doesn't understand. He's not sending you to a place that he's never been. You are walking a road that he's already walked. You should find comfort in that. He knows you. He will hold you. He will sustain you. He's the first And the last, he's the Alpha and the Omega. He was dead and he's alive to live forevermore. But he has walked every road of suffering every person would ever walk. And I know comes the theological question, well, why would God allow suffering? Why would he do that? And here's my answer. I don't know. We live in a fallen world. We, we, listen, this, again, this is not heaven, but we're on our way. We still have a job to do. We still have, we have things to do, people to reach, lives to change, bellies to feed. We have broken to heal. We have a gospel to preach and proclaim. A road in front of us may be filled with suffering, but you need to know this. God is not the source of your suffering, but he is the source in your suffering. You need to know that. You need to know as a Christian, think about this for a minute, as a believer. That's why he was telling them, you're secure in my hand. You're saved. I'm, I'm going to take you to heaven. You're going to get there. Don't you worry about it. I've conquered death, hell, and the grave. And you're in me. You're inside of me. You're clothed in my righteousness. I'm going to get you to eternity. But there is going to be suffering. And you need to know, all of us need to know this. Suffering on this earth is the closest to hell you're ever going to get. You need to know that. But also for the unbeliever, pleasure on this earth. It's the closest to heaven you're ever going to get. But for believers, this is temporary. Another truth about God in the midst of suffering, number four, he receives our trust in him in the midst of suffering as worship to him. This is so powerful, so powerful. The city, Smyrna, actually means myrrh. And myrrh is a spice that... In Bible times, and it still exists today, in Bible times they would use myrrh to prepare bodies for burial. Interesting enough, the wise men, when they brought um, their gifts to Jesus, it was the prophetic. They were being prophetic in their gifts. It was gold, frankincense, and myrrh. It already, God had already set the trajectory for Jesus' life, and that was to be a lamb of God that was slain before the foundations of the earth, but now he was on this earth. But this whole myrrh, it, it is used for the, for the pre- preparing of bodies for burial, but here's another thing. It's used also and was used also in the temple to bring forth worship to God. It filled the temple with aroma. It filled, it was as worship to God. It was an aroma of worship. It was a, a fragrance to worship God. And when you suffer, 
while maintaining your trust in Jesus Christ. It is as an aroma, it is an act of faith, it's a fragrance of worship, and that is the worship that God receives because it is faith that pleases him. And as you trust him in the middle of pain, the middle of uncertainty, do not throw in the towel. Do not, God, I thought you were good. No, his goodness never changes. What you need to do is say, God, though I don't understand, Though I don't know why this would happen to me. Though I don't know, God, why the pressure of the world is coming against us because we're standing for righteousness. God, though I don't know, I trust you because you are the first and the last. You conquered death and the grave. And you, have, you are aware of my suffering and you have been where I'm going. So therefore, I trust you and I will offer you worship by my trust in the midst of suffering. That is what God calls us to do. We are, we are called in the Bible, we're called priests, every one of us. Every man, every woman. A side note for, for us married men, it's important to understand, yes, you're the, you're the priest in your home, but you're not the only priest in your home. We are priests. And what did priests do in the temple? They offered worship and aroma to the living God. And as they did, his presence filled the room of the, the holy of holies with his actual glory, his Shekinah glory. They experienced it. Why? Because they worshiped him. Your job as a believer is no matter where you're at is to worship God and trusting God in the midst of suffering is worship that he loves. And he meets you in that moment. He receives it as worship. God gives us purpose in our pain. God will use every suffering you've ever gone through. He'll use it if we will allow him to. Suffering unto the Lord is a suffering that God will use for your glory, and God will use it in eternity. Just like the early church, we see and we read about their sufferings and us today, as their blood was the seed of the church where we are today, we are, we are benefiting from their trust in the midst of suffering. Someone will benefit from your trust in the midst of suffering. It might be your children. It might be your family. It might be the church ahead. But someone will. Because that is aroma to God. And God honors worship in the midst of suffering. Number five, God in the midst of suffering as a believer your suffering is only temporary. Please get this. It's only temporary. The biggest mistake we can make as, as believers is to think, hey, this is heaven. Thank God it's not, right? This is not, guys, listen, we were created for eternity. This is a, this is a moment on the blip of eternity. I heard, I heard it explained before, like our lifespan, you know, whatever, 80, 90 years or whatever that may be. It is such a small blip on the, on the span of eternity. They said it's like, it, it's, eternity is like the time it would take a sparrow to empty the ocean one trip at a time. Like, listen, it's so tiny, this moment. And Jesus tells the church in Smyrna, he says, listen, don't be afraid. Look at this verse. It's so, it's, it's, it's when I read this, I thought, wow. Don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. Um, Jesus, since you're aware of it, can you just <laughs> make it go away? He doesn't say that. Why? 
And then he goes on to tell them what's coming. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test. And you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Interesting, this whole 10-day thing, some scholars believe it, it's, it was like 10 seasons of persecution of the church or 10 um, dispensations of suffering for the church. But many scholars believe it's connected back to the book of Daniel. If you remember in the first chapter of Daniel, um, Daniel and these three other boys were led into captivity. They were taken, kidnapped from their home, taken into Babylon, and, and they were taken to the king's house. Now, these are, these are Hebrews, so God had laid out some eating plans for them. Eat this, don't eat this, and, and by doing that, you're bringing honor and you're worshiping me, worshiping me. So all of the people brought in were eating from the king's table. It was the food that they, as, as believers in God, the God of Abraham, were not to eat. So Daniel goes to the commander and says, hey, listen, we're not going to eat from this because I'm going to show you something. Give us 10 days to not eat it. 10 days. And on the other side of the 10 days, we will be healthier. We will be more in shape than the rest of the people. And so what scholars believe, this, this whole idea is this, is that a 10-day, there's a 10-day period. There are temporal times for suffering. There are temporal times of God of, of that we're going to have to go through. And we need to understand that our suffering is temporary. In other words, another way of saying this is this. When you stand for what is just and is right, as Daniel did, there was, there was a 10-day period. There was, there was a temporal time for you as you stand for what is right, as you reject the world system that it's selling, you're going to stand for purity and the righteousness, that pressure that comes from that, that's coming from the world, it is only temporary in comparison to eternity. And so that 10-day period is short-lived in comparison to eternity. And the devil wants us to think this. He wants us to think that suffering is forever. You're always going to suffer. Okay, then forget it. I'm going to stop standing. The church, it's, it's, it's too much. We're going to just stop doing what God's called us to do. We're going to stop standing up for righteousness. We're going to stop. We're gonna, listen, we can't, it's just too much for us. But the Bible says it's not going to last forever. It's only temporary. And your suffering is limited. But as you continue to stand for righteousness, Jesus, you are storing for, up for yourself treasures in heaven. And you are an aroma in his nostrils. And you are representing him here on this earth. And he invites us to stay the course. It's only temporary. The followers of Jesus... Your suffering, physical, relational, spiritual, persecution because of your stand for Jesus and for righteousness, it is only temporary. Let's not forget that our life is created for eternity. This moment, this moment is a very short moment. Let us represent Jesus well in this blip on eternity. It may not always feel like it's a moment. It, all, it may feel like this, the, the pressure and the crushing. Listen, this, when you feel the pressure, it's actually an opportunity to go further. It's actually an opportunity to, to allow God to do something new in your life. Let's use this season of pressure. Let's use this season even of governmental pressure towards the church or whatever that may be. Let's use this season of a, of a cultural, really the goddess of Sibylle being worshipped in our nation and all the things that are around all of that. Let's use this to, to, be, to use this as a catalyst for us to be the church and be the light that the dark, dying world needs. Let's use this time. 
But will it take courage? Yes. Will it cause suffering? Yes. Is God asking us to do it? Yes. Listen, you can be pressed on every side, but in comparison to eternity, Paul says it best. 2 Corinthians 4, he says this, we are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our bodies the death of Jesus, meaning suffering, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our bodies one day. That's going to be a good day. Somebody say amen to that. Come on. We need to understand that our suffering's temporary. You know, there's a scripture out of Chronicles that says that the eyes of the Lord look to and fro throughout the earth, seeking a heart that's completely committed to him. To me, what that says is God wants to use some of you in this room and online. He's looking for someone who doesn't measure their stand for righteousness based off of the amount of suffering or persecution you may inquire because you stand for it. He's looking for someone to be the tip of the spear. He's looking for a trailblazer. He's looking for a mouthpiece. He's looking for you young people to be burning white hot with the confidence of Jesus Christ that you don't hold your life as something that is for you to, to own. You have given it to Jesus, and he says, those are the type of people I will use. The question is, where are they today in the church, and will it be you? I think a time's coming as pressure hits the church, God will explode us to multiply, but he still needs leaders. Will it be you? The last point about God in the midst of suffering, he is using your suffering to produce something of immense, eternal value. Scripture out of verse 10 says this, be faithful, be faithful, even to the point of death. And I will give you life as your victor's crown. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. When you die of the flesh, you won't be hurt, won't touch you. Our stand for truth, our stand for the righteousness of Jesus, our stand against sexual perversion, our stand against a culture that's trying to deceive and rip your kids' souls out, our stand. And as we, and as we get suffering because of it, you are building something of immense eternal value. You can't take your house with you, can't take your money with you, can't take your clothes with you. Women, you can't take that nice bag and purse you just bought, can't take it with you. <laughs> Jesus won't let you. <laughs> He's got a better one for you, I promise you that. You can't, you can't take, you can't take your popularity with you. Young people, you, you can't, you can't take the fact that you were accepted by a group of people that you compromise your beliefs so that you could be accepted by them. You can't take it with you. But you know what you can store up? 
is this reality that as you bring honor to God through your suffering, as you stay faithful to God, as you stand for righteousness, as the church stiffens its backbone again, we're storing up something that we're going to get forever. God's going to reward you. God wants to use you. And it's time that we understand this world is not our home. The acceptance of a group of people that will squawk and, and chase you down and try to intimidate you if you don't believe like them or say what they say. or Listen, who cares? I will be in eternity forever. And I want to make sure that my suffering and my choices and what I stand for today are going to be honored by my Father, who I get to live in his house forever. Listen, I believe God wants to get us ready for a great move of God. Now, a move of God means it's up to God to move. We can position some things. We can preach. We can worship. We can we can apply his word to our lives. We can make some decisions in our life to live for eternity versus for this world. We can do those things. And as we do, I believe that God positions things for a move of God to hit our nation, to hit our city. Every time in Scripture where there was pressure, something emerged supernatural. Something happened. And out of pressure and out of difficult situations, supernatural things begin to be released. If we keep our hearts right, if we love the world and not hate it because they're crazy sometimes, if we know our message is to put the, the gospel in their hearts, if we know that we carry the solution of a broken, hurting world is the gospel. So just hear me today because I'm always wanting to prioritize our lives and our hearts. The solution to our nation is the gospel of Jesus. Let's make sure, though, let's make sure, hang on, let's make sure that what comes out of our mouth doesn't communicate that the solution to our nation is the next presidential vote. Now, I'm not saying it's not important. That's, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm saying from a prior, we need to prioritize that our one message that can transform an individual, the one message that Jesus came and said, now I'm going to heaven, you, you carry this. You carry this message to the world. You carry this to the hurting, the broken. You carry, the, you feed the poor. You take care of the widows. You move my kingdom forward, but make sure you're doing it to put Jesus in their hearts. Now, I understand there's a real political world. I understand there are systems of this world that Christians, because we're stewards of a nation, must speak into, must vote into. I get all of that. Let's not make, let's just make sure our priority is the gospel above politics. Amen? So no matter where we are today, you're suffering, what you're going through, Jesus calls us. Don't give up. Don't back down. Don't throw in the towel. Don't compromise to avoid suffering. Hold the line. Hold the line. And if you inquire suffering because of that, he will honor you. And as you trust him in that suffering, it will be worship to him. If it's in your physical body today and you've been asking God to heal you for years, and he hasn't, keep trusting. Hebrews 11, this is this incredible passage of the 
the heroes of faith. It starts off with like, you know, Abraham, not knowing where he was going, left his home and did this. Oh, yeah, you know, Moses, yeah, Noah, yeah, yeah. And then, they, you know, they, you saw this miraculous stuff happen. Moses splitting the Red Sea because he knew what was on the other. Like, yes, and then you keep reading, it gets down. And so-and-so who was sawn in two while still believing for the promise. What? Those who were, who were delivered by the sword because of their faith. Those same people died by the sword, by their faith. I don't know the suffering. I don't know how it's all sorted off, sorted out. But what I do know is you get to the end of that chapter. It says that all of them were rewarded for their faith. Your reward is in your faith, not the outcome. Your reward is in your trust. Our responsibility, to trust. That's it. God's responsibility is to do, and we trust him in that. I trust you, God, with my life. And that's what God's calling us to. And regardless of what you're going through, regardless of where you're at today, Jesus wants to meet you. But he also wants to remind you. He wants to deeply remind you that he's already gone where you've been. He's already paid the price for you. You are, you are secure in his salvation. Nobody's going to pluck you from his hand. Bring it on. Not happening. You are secure. But he also wants you to know that you may have to endure. But he will sustain you and keep you because of what he did on the cross. Because he rose from the dead. Because he's living in our hearts. And he's coming back again to get us. Amen. Let's all stand to our feet today. As you came in, you had a communion cup. I'm going to grab one real quick. And if you can go ahead and get that communion cup out. Thank you, Amber. We're going to take communion together. Because this represents the blood of Jesus and the body of Jesus Christ. Today, what we've learned is that because Jesus endured in his body... That we can have faith, we can have trust, that we can walk through all situations and trust him in the outcome. Not hold our faith and trust hostage. Well, Jesus, I'll trust you if you can guarantee. No, no, we trust him and we let him figure out the outcome. But today we take this communion understanding he has gone where you've been. We take communion knowing that our life is secure in him. We take communion today, as Jesus said, when you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Jesus bore in his body every curse, every sin, every weight. And he nailed it to the cross. And then he took upon himself our shame. Listen, maybe there's someone here today that you're so shamed full of shame because of a mistake you made in the past. Listen, Jesus took that shame. Put your trust in him. Be set free from that. Maybe some of you are here today where you're like, that's great, Jason, that Jesus died for my sins and the sins of somebody else. But maybe you're here today and someone has sinned against you. And you're carrying this weight, but that's great. I'm hurting. Listen, there's what, there's, it's a, Theological term, it's propitiation, which is Jesus took upon him what I have done, but then there's expiation, this idea that Jesus took upon himself the sin that was done against you. So you can come to Jesus and be set free from every sin that's been done against you. He offers healing, restoration, life forevermore, and you can run to him today. We are taking communion, understanding this today. 
that it is only by his blood and through his crucifixion and resurrection that we can have life. And we're reminding ourselves we've got a job to do. And we're going to keep honoring Jesus with our life. So let's take of the bread together that symbols, symbolizes his body. And let's take of the juice that represents his blood that was shed for us. Jesus, today we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your kindness. We thank you, Lord, today that no matter what we go through, you're with us. We thank you, Lord, that as we've just tasted with our taste buds and remembered, you've already gone to where we are going and maybe even are right now. You've already been there. And you can be our guide. So today, God, we forgive us for doubting you. We align our lives to you and we just continue to ask you to be our guides. Lord, I also ask you today that as we've just taken and tasted of the bread and the juice that represents your body and the blood, we would understand that following Jesus is a life of sacrifice. It's a life of incredible blessing. It's a life of incredible provision. But there are seasons that it is a life of suffering. So, Lord, today we say yes to that life. We say yes to what it means to yoke ourselves with you. And may you do incredible things with our lives and in our hearts. Lord, today we give you all that we are, and we trust you today with our future, our past, and our present. Lord, I pray that you would bless our people today, that we would leave encouraged from your word, strengthened from your truth. Thank you. Thank you for the words that you gave us to the church in Smyrna. May we walk them out and honor them well in our lives. In Jesus' name, we all say amen and amen. Come on, let's give God a hand today. Amen.